Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Now, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person, and you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Almost everywhere Jesus went during his earthly ministry, he was constantly trying to convince the people of their current situation and what they needed in terms of salvation and how he would meet the need that they had. He never passed up an opportunity to illustrate, to use parables, to use prophetic preaching saying, woe be, to show people their sin. Jesus loved to feast. We've talked about that. So much so that some accused him of being a gluttonous man and a wine bibber. It's interesting, the feast that Jesus is attending at this point has been hosted by a ruler of the Pharisees. Not just your everyday garden variety Pharisee, which would have been special enough, but the ruler, a ruler of the Pharisees, kind of a Pharisee of Pharisees, like Paul says that he had been. On this occasion, Jesus had just noticed a poor man with some kind of paralysis. And he had started to heal that man of his paralysis, as Jesus was always anxious to do. But instead, he looked to the host and to the assembled guest there and asked them a question. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Because this feast was taking place on the Sabbath. And the scripture says, they remained silent. Something about that question was provocative to them. Something about that question reminded them of their law, the law of Moses, and their interpretation of that law and their enforcement of that law over the years, and especially at this time in Israel. Jesus healed the man. 
and sent him away. Apparently the man was not invited as a guest to this particular meal. Something the Lord will say something about a little later on. He sent the healed man away. Now the scripture doesn't say it, but I suspect he sent the man away rejoicing. And the response of the people was, verse 6, they could not reply to these things. Jesus had from the very beginning, it appears, put somewhat of a pall over this festive occasion by asking these serious questions, by doing these miraculous deeds. Nicodemus, another ruler among the Jews, would ask Jesus, we know you've come from God because people cannot do these miracles unless they come from God. And he had questions of how he would enter the kingdom. One of the interesting things that we pointed out as we've gone through these parables, a couple of them already have dealt with feasts or banquets. We've talked about how the banquet motif in the whole Bible and especially in the New Testament has a royal tinge to it. It is a king's feast. It's the wedding feast of royalty. It also has a prophetic tinge to it. It sort of gives us something of a foretaste of a eschatological, an end time, a last day banquet. And Jesus works that and moves that toward their understanding. Now, it says he told this parable to the guest that had been invited because Jesus had noticed how they chose the places of honor. Have you ever observed how Jesus observed? You remember he was in the temple one time and sitting there watching people put their money in the collection. And he watched all sorts of people make their donations of all sorts. And he pointed out a widow who gave but a mite. Jesus observed people. The Gospel of John says he knew what was in the hearts of people. And I'll just stop right there and say, the Lord knows your heart this morning. He has a little laser beam searchlight that is shining upon your conscience. And He knows. And your prayer should be, as we come to the conclusion of the sermon rather quickly, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Because that's precisely what Jesus did to these people. As he observed them in the text, they would come in and they would move around, kind of jockey for position in the room to sit at the best table, the most honored seats. I don't know exactly how they determined that in that culture or what the, the criteria was, but whatever it was, they felt like they belonged at the highest possible seat. And Jesus, after watching that gathering, watching that assembly, spoke to those very people. And what he did simply was quote an Old Testament proverb. That's all Jesus did. Proverbs 25, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or stand in the place of the great, for it is better to be told, come up here than to be put lower 
in the presence of a noble. Jesus just reminded them from the Holy Scriptures of what they had done. They had, in effect, violated the principle of the proverb. They were putting themselves forward. And what this putting themselves forward did, essentially, was expose their sin. The sin was pride. Jesus always dealt with the sickness of the soul. If they would have read another proverb, it would have said, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Jesus is pointing out their sinfulness, their pride. Jesus always had a feel for the malady. The whole, the healthy didn't need a physician, but those that were sick, sin sick, desperately needed immediate attention. And Christ brings that. And he brings it to this otherwise festive occasion. And he tells them something about their pride. And he tells them everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Several years ago when we worked through the book of James, letter to the churches in the New Testament, We couldn't get away from a whole paragraph addressing the notion of pride in the heart of a person. And James says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He too, quoting an Old Testament passage, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Pride. That's our sense of self-assuredness. That's our sense of self-centeredness. That's our own personal estimation of ourselves. As Paul put it in Romans when he was exhorting the church there, he said, you should not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And that's what pride is. But it's, it's really more insidious than that. Pride really is the sin of the Garden of Eden. It's the sin of Adam. The temptation was, you remember, to be like God. And that's the core, that's the germ of the sin, is to want to be like God, to somehow in our own way replace God. That we would be like God knowing good and evil, knowing both sides of the coin, knowing all alternatives, making all determinations, making the choices, calling the shots, being in charge, answering to no authority above us. And considering many to be beneath us. That's the sin. And it manifests itself not only in just blatant pride and arrogance, 
which we all can see in others so easily, not so easily in ourselves. But it also manifests itself sometimes in a false humility. Sometimes the people that look the most humble are within their own souls the most self-centered, concerned with their own pleasure, welfare, their own decisions, their own ideas, their own viewpoint, their own property. It manifests itself in not only a self-centeredness, but a stubbornness to have your way, to do your thing, to walk according to your own insights. There's a way that seems right to a person, but the end of it is destruction, pride, haughty spirits go to this place. It also manifests itself in our lives as religion. We are innately religious and we want to be the captain of our souls. We want to be there. We want to be the one that makes the determinations of not only how we should live, but what we should do. And Jesus points out rather obliquely, but pretty clearly in this passage, that all of that is in the hand of the host. The host of the feast decides who is brought up high and who is placed low. That decision rests with the discretion of the host, the one in charge, the one who really has the authority and the power, the one who has spread the banquet table, the one who holds life and death in his hands, the one who makes the call. And that word call reminds me of another thing Jesus did everywhere he went. He called sinners to repentance. And pride keeps us from repentance. Jesus said over and over words like, except you repent, you will all perish. He emphasized in his Beatitudes that it was the lowly in heart, the low in spirit, the contrite heart, the humble, those that hunger and thirst. Those are the ones that come to the Lord. Those are the ones that hear the call. And so we have to ask the Lord today to show us our sin. The Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save. Neither is his ear heavy and dull that he cannot hear. But your sin, your pride, have separated you between you and your God and your sin 
has hid his face from you and he will not hear you. We saw this exact same quotation, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted in chapter 18, a couple of weeks ago when we saw the two men standing in the temple to pray. It was the one who humbled himself before the Lord, smote upon his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's the one that went down to his house justified. That was the one that found mercy. That was the one that found salvation. That was the one that heard the invitation to the great banquet. That's the one that heard the Lord say, come unto me. All you that labor and are heavy laden with the guilt and a burden of your sin, and I will give you rest. It's a constant call that comes from the Savior. Perhaps you ignore it. Perhaps you don't hear it. Perhaps it's blaring in your ears to where it has confused your whole life. It's a call that Jesus says, abandon your own rectitude. Your own works, your own goodness must be dumped. Your own religious accomplishment must be eliminated. Your own creditation must be canceled. You must take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow Jesus. And the promise is sweet. If you hear it this morning, just call. The Lord is near the brokenhearted. The Lord preserves the simple. The Lord has not chosen the wise of this world. The Lord helps the weak. The Lord hears the cry of the deserted. And the Lord lifts up the fallen. We talk about the fall. The fall is the fall into sin. Our father Adam did it. It has consequences to us. We do the same thing. We have fallen. We have fallen. And we need to hear the voice of our Savior say, Friend, move up higher as he with loving arms lifts us up draws us to himself saves our souls forgives our sins gives us eternal life writes our name in the Lamb's book of life and promises to be with us all of our lives and wherever we go and takes us to heaven this day you will be with me Jesus says in paradise.